Please take your Bibles with me and turn to Proverbs chapter 25. Proverbs 25, and we'll focus our attention first here on Proverbs 25 and verse 13. Like the cold of snow in the time of harvest is a faithful messenger to those who send him, for he refreshes the soul of his masters. Let's pray together. Our Heavenly Father, we take off our sandals because we realize we are living before your face, Coram Deo. And we ask that this would cause us to have our ears opened and our hearts tender and that my mouth would be equipped and that your name would be glorified by the presence of your Holy Spirit. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. In 1899, a man named Albert Hubbard wrote a short essay entitled, A message to Garcia. And this essay went viral as well as it can do in 1890. It was published in newspapers all across the globe, actually. And it praised the virtue of one of history's most impressive messengers. You see, during the late 1890s, the United States was at war with Spain, and President McKinley understood that strengthening insurgent Cuban forces was crucial for victory, he needed to get a message passed to Calixo Garcia, who was holed up somewhere in the mountains of Cuba. Where, asked the president, can I find a man who will carry a message to Garcia? And the reply was a prompt one. Well, there is a young officer here in Washington, a lieutenant named Rowan, who will carry it for you. Well, McKinley said, send him. And within an hour, Colonel Arthur Wagner had left the White House and was speaking with a Lieutenant Rowan, telling him of the crucial and perilous mission to deliver a top-secret letter to Garcia in Cuba. And without any hesitations or questions, Rowan took the letter, he sealed it up in an oilskin pouch, he strapped it over his heart, In four days, he landed by night off the coast of Cuba from an open boat and then disappeared into the jungle of Cuba. And in three weeks, he came out on the other side of the island, having traversed a hostile country on foot and having delivered his letter, his message to Garcia. And Hubbard wrote in his essay based on this, the point I wish to make is this. McKinley gave Rowan a letter to be delivered to Garcia. And Rowan took the letter, and he didn't ask, well, where is Garcia at? Look, there is a man whose form should be cast in deathless bronze and the statue placed in every college in the land. It is not book-learning young men that we need, nor instruction about this or that, but a stiffening of the vertebrae which will cause them to be loyal to a trust, to act promptly, to concentrate their energies, and to do the thing. 
that was asked of them, that is, to carry the message to Garcia. And then Hubbard commented, General Garcia is dead now, but there are other Garcias. No man who has endeavored to carry out an enterprise where many hands were needed has been nearly appalled at times by the senselessness of the average man, the inability or unwillingness to concentrate on a thing and then do it. Slipshod assistance, foolish inattention, dull indifference, and half-hearted work seem to instead be the rule for the day. Now that was true in the 1900s, and you know what, it's doubly, no, it's triply, if not quadruply true in the 2020s, the need for a man who can get the message to Garcia. And so what I desire to do here is to focus on this thesis, this important topic here, because I've spoken with small business owners who've lamented the difficulty in finding quality employees in this day. They'll say to me, Mark, he doesn't have to be a rocket scientist. He doesn't have to be a genius. I just someone, I want someone who has initiative and is reliable, dependable, and faithful. Someone I can count on to do what I ask him to do. But sadly, such faithful messengers are near extinction in our day. And that's why I'm going to look at this thesis. A faithful servant messenger refreshes the heart of his master by finding a way to accomplish his assignment. So let's just survey the biblical material on this theme. We'll have three heads of exposition and, God willing, five lines of application, and we're done. So come on with you firstly, by way of exposition. The biblical instructions on personal reliability. Biblical instructions on personal reliability. Three passages I want to look at. They're all in Proverbs. Look first at 25.13 of the Proverbs. I've read it already in your hearing. It says, like the cold of snow in time of harvest is a faithful messenger to those who send him, for he refreshes the soul of his master. You see, nothing is more refreshing in the torrid, hot, sauna-like heat of the Near Eastern harvest time. Nothing more refreshing than a cold snap that mingles snow with the grain. It, It doesn't damage the crop, but instead it invigorates the otherwise baking and overheating reapers. Snow! Instead of 100 plus degree Fahrenheit weather. It's really kind of a sweet image. Like cold of snow in a time of harvest is a faithful messenger who is doing what his master tells him to do. Lawson comments this way. He says this. Equally refreshing to the soul is the faithful execution of an important message by those who are entrusted with it. It's required of all servants that they be found faithful. And it's required in a special manner of messengers who are employed in distant and important commissions. And and faithfulness is more praiseworthy in them because they're not under the immediate eye of their masters. I was talking to a young man recently who has a truck. 
and he starts his day in the shop, but he goes out in his truck all day, and he makes his decisions all throughout the day regarding what he's going to do, and he's not micromanaged by the eyes of his supervisor, and he's faithful in those hours that are given to him. So, whenever we are entrusted with a task by another, this proverb is calling on us to conscientiously seek to refresh him by our faithful execution of what he told us to do. That's what Rowan did for President McKinley. And that's what we ought to do for anyone who's over us. So biblical instructions on reliability. First, Proverbs 25, 13. But look secondly, a little later in that same chapter, Proverbs 25, 19. Interesting imagery here. Like a bad tooth. You ever have a bad tooth? Or like an unsteady foot is confidence in a faithless man in time of trouble. you got to have a steady foot when you're counting on it to perform. There was a U.S. decathlete. His name was Matt Pappas. He was in Athens for the 2004 Olympics, and he was running down the pole vault runway, and he sought to plant his foot so that once having planted his pole, he could then jump high over the 17-foot bar. But while he was making his launching leap, his foot, on which he was relying, collapsed. Bones cracked and sinews snapped, and he stumbled onto the mat, and he was forced to withdraw from the decathlon competition. You see, the unreliable foot let him down at crunch time. And we could also say, too, you, just this week, we got corn on Friday and came home to eat. And if our little grandson, Marcus, who's got, he got missing teeth, you see, or maybe a loose tooth right up front, you go to the cob, you try to bite, that bad tooth is going to make you withdraw, not from the competition, but from the cob. You're not going to be able to perform. Gary Brady says this about this proverb, like a bad tooth or an unsteady foot is confidence in a faithless man in time of trouble. The guy who doesn't make the deliveries when he's asked to do it. Brady says this, the imagery of the bad tooth and the lame foot point to their uselessness rather than the pain that they may cause. Rather than helping you to eat, a bad tooth just gets in the way. And a lame foot, it's an encumbrance. It's not an asset. It's not a help on the road. I still remember my uncle had a house in Marne, Michigan, and I was probably 10 years old, and I was able to ride the mower to do the front lawn. But he said, stay away from those little trees because you're going to otherwise gonna nick the trunk and you're going to endanger them. Well, I was out doing my mowing and so thrilled to be in charge. I, I came way too close to the trees, and when I was done mowing, I looked out the front yard, and the five trees out front were all being wrapped by my uncle who was on his knees. And I wonder what he was thinking about me, who'd been a bad tooth or a lame foot to him. I wasn't a help. Instead, I was a hindrance in his 
front yard manicuring. In fact, I still remember, oh, it was probably 15 years ago, we were tearing down a shed here at the church building. And I had brought that Saturday morning a crowbar and my dad's hammer. And I had to depart early before the shed was down, but I entrusted my treasures of the crowbar and my dad's hammer to somebody in the church. It was young Peter Cushion. And I knew, or I hoped I could count on him, and this proverb was even in mine. I, I can trust Peter with these things. Then a few weeks later, after prayer meeting, Peter came up to me, hey, Pastor Chansky, here's your crowbar. And then soon followed the hammer. You see, he delivered for me. He came through. You, you can rely on Peter Cushion. And he's forged that kind of a character among us, reputation. Or looking at biblical instructions on reliability. Look at Proverbs 25, 6, just the next chapter. Look, it says there, he cuts off his own feet and drinks violence who sends a message by the hand, not of a reliable man or a wise man, by the hand of a fool. You hurt yourself. Back in 1972, there was an Olympics in Munich, and the United States had three of the world's fastest men, sprinters. You hear that, Raymond? We had the fastest men back then in the U.S. You Jamaicans, you're the fastest now. I know, Usain Bolt and the like. All right, all right. But back then, we had three of the fastest men. The thought was we might go gold, silver, and bronze. But those sprinters depended on their coach, his name was Stan Wright, to get them to the stadium on time for the qualifying heats. And the coach checked the schedule and told the runners, gentlemen, be ready to leave the village hotel at 2 p.m. At 1.30 p.m., these guys were there in the hotel lobby, and they were watching on the television screen, and they saw their own race was at that moment taking place, and that their place and the blocks were empty. And as a result, they never got to run. You see, the coach had failed to double and triple check. He let him down. And that coach had squandered a lifetime of these men's training who got to that point. That's why it says, like cutting off one's own feet is he who trusts in an unreliable man. You can't run. They couldn't run, could they? Because of who they trusted. Or it says, like drinking down violence, like taking toxic poison before a race. So it is, they disqualified themselves, and we disqualify ourselves for a victorious performance if we call on the wrong man. Bridges says this, the fool is utterly unfit for service. When a message is sent by his hands, he makes so many mistakes, careless or willful, that the result is an utter fiasco. So, the instruction for us is, that we must be wise in scouring the landscape, evaluating individuals, and resolve not to appoint such foolish, unreliable men to responsibilities. But also it tells us that we are to examine ourselves and to make sure that we are not such foolish and unreliable men. But instead, we are men 
that people can count on. And when we rely, they rely on us, we deliver and we perform, refreshing them. So that's the biblical instruction on personal reliability. Come on with me now, secondly then, to the biblical characters showcasing personal reliability. And really the scriptures are so chocked full with examples of reliable men, but I'll restrict myself to the book of Genesis. Consider firstly with me Noah. Noah, in the sixth chapter of Genesis, we find that he's given a really challenging assignment, this Noah fellow. Noah's 500 years old, but he's told by the Lord, he's got this assignment, I want you to build for me an ark. It's going to be 450 feet long. It's going to be 45 feet wide and 75 feet high. By the way, that's one and a half football fields. Robert, I understand you had a game yesterday. So imagine running for a football field and a half. Well, that's the distance of the ark. And by the way, didn't have Home Depot back in those days when the assignment was given. All he had was primitive tools. He also had a a non-affirming not-so-encouraging audience that would stop by his shop. They would laugh at him with every swing of his hammer. And with that 500-year-old body, who could blame Noah if he balked at this assignment? Lord! Or even if maybe he questioned the assignment. Lord, it's dry. It's, 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 it's not raining. There's There's never been any water here in this place. Or he could have even left the job partially completed. You ever seen that, partially completed jobs? My brother-in-law out in Iowa is a president of a plumbing, heating, construction company. And he was telling me about the time that he, he, he came to a work job and there were about a dozen men, and he, the owner, finally came, and these dozen men were just sitting idle because the machine had broken down. And he came, and he repaired the machine, but why couldn't one of the dozen men found the way to repair that machine? It just didn't happen. But we see that this man Noah, look, it says in 622 when he was told to build this colossal ark, no explanations of details, no expression of criticism against God for the assignment. It just says in 622, and thus Noah did according to all that God had commanded him, so he did. You see, to his master, the Lord, Noah was a very sturdy foot to plant the full weight of his redemptive plan on. And if Noah would have failed, the survival of the entire race was hinging on his hammer. And Noah delivered. In fact, he's commended in the book of Hebrews, Hebrews 11, verse 7, as it says, by faith, Noah prepared an ark. He did the job. He found Away. That's one biblical character showcasing personal reliability. But how about another Genesis character? 
How about Eleazar in chapter 24? Genesis chapter 24. We see here that Abraham is a man who's old in age, it says in verse 1. And he called his servant, seems it was Eleazar, the reliable servant, come put your hand on my thigh, make a vow to me, go back to the land of Haran, find a wife for my son Isaac, and I'm relying on you. I'm depending upon you. His seed's prosperity depended on the reliability of this servant messenger to make a 600-mile trip over the mountains through hostile territory with a built-in excuse, because look what it says there in verse 8. It says in verse 8, but if the woman is not willing to follow you, then you will be free from my oath. So when the going got tough, and when he encountered difficulties and snags and obstacles, he said, I can always play this excuse card. She wouldn't come with me. But notice what Eliezer does in the passage. We find that in 24, 66, and 67, and the servant told Isaac and all the things that he had done. Then Isaac brought her into his mother's, Sarah's tent, and he took Rebekah, and she became his wife and loved her. And thus Isaac was comforted after his mother's death. He delivered. He brought the package. Rebekah was brought to the tent, the right address there of Isaac. So Eleazar found the way, and he became a most refreshing messenger to the aged Abraham. And Abraham was soothed by the reliability of this very faithful messenger. Even tonight, well, tonight it worked out okay. But about a month ago, I preached and I texted this really complex outline to Travis Brack. And I wondered, will Travis be able to get it from my text onto the screen? It was impeccable. And I have this idea that Travis will find a way. And even tonight, I, I, I sent it on. And look, Travis, is, Travis, are you here? Travis is gone, but he found a way to get it to Zeke. And Zeke performed. So we've got two Eliezer-like messengers. I still remember the time back, I think it was about 1997. I remember when we got into this church building, and it was this torrid, hot summer. One of the, one of the don't talk to me about global warming. Now, after 1997. Remember, we, we'd sit here, we had no air conditioning, people were fanning themselves, puddles under chairs, and we got the air conditioning in, it was supposed to be ready on a certain Sunday, and it wasn't ready on Saturday night. And there was deep concern, why isn't the air conditioning ready? We're all going to bake tomorrow. Who's responsible for this? Well, Kevin was our archdeacon at that time, but Kevin that day had been off the entirety of the time, listen to this, running his first ever marathon at South Bend, Indiana, ended up in Notre Dame Stadium, and it was like 90 degrees. So the guy comes back, he's got nothing left in the tank, but what does he do? He works deep into the night, and when we got here, we were chill and cool that Sunday morning, because our Eleazar of a deacon found the way. 
And that's just the way it's been for three decades with a guy like Kevin Filsick. He's forged that reputation among us. It's good to ask ourselves, am I that kind of a man or a woman among the people of God? Or another character in the Old Testament, Genesis, how about Joseph? Joseph in Genesis 37, verses 2 and 3, Joseph was the, the son who had the coat of many colors. Why? Because his dad knew he could rely on him. It wasn't simple favoritism because he had a pretty face. Joseph performed really well. When I give something to Joseph, he takes care of it. That's why he was overseeing the other brothers. He was dependable and reliable in his father's house. But eventually, when he's sold by jealous brothers off to Egypt, he gets into Potiphar's house. What kind of a man is he in Potiphar's house? Well, the the cream rises to the top. And it says in the house of Potiphar, 39.6 of Genesis, everything Potiphar owned, he put in Joseph's charge. And Potiphar was not concerned with anything except for his eating his own food because Joseph was taking care of it. And then he was in the jailhouse. And it says in the jailhouse, whatever was done in the jail... He, Joseph, was responsible for. You see the kind of a guy? Are we that kind of a guy where we go that people recognize this in us? And eventually, he's brought to be the prime minister in Egypt. And Pharaoh, when there's a problem that arises, he says, go to Joseph. Whatever Joseph tells you to do, do it. But there's a famine. Joseph will take care of it. And he did. You see, Joseph was a very sturdy molar for chewing on. And he was very steady foot for jumping on. He didn't let down his master. So you see these biblical characters showcasing personal reliability. But come on with me then to thirdly, the biblical climax of personal reliability. Let me ask you, who is the Mount Everest of faithful servanthood in the Bible? Mark 10.45, the Son of Man did not come to be served but he served. He was a servant, and he gave his life as a ransom for many. See, the Lord Jesus, to his father, was kind of like Rowan to McKinley. Rowan was given an assignment, and he canoed his way to Cuba. We see, God the Father sent his son on history's most daunting and crucial mission And the son was parachuted down to the earth, a very hostile earth, and his assignment was to redeem every last one of his father's chosen people. You talk about a massive assignment. It says in John 6, 39, this is the will of him who sent me, that of all he has given me, I lose nothing, but I raise it up on the last day. And you think of Rome encountered jungles of difficulty on the island of Cuba. But think of the jungles of difficulty and the hordes of opposition faced by the Lord Jesus Christ. Not just men, but, but principalities and powers and spiritual forces of wickedness and heavenly places stood against him, fully armed. Think of the things that Jesus faced on the jungle of this earth. He faced Herod's slaughter as an infant, and Satan's temptations, and 
the Pharisees' traps and the Sadducees' snares and then Gethsemane's agony and Judas' betrayal and the pillars' scourging and the cross-bearing and the, the feet and the hand piercing and his naked hanging while they were head wagging at him, even daring him, if you are the Son of God, come down. And he could have leaped down, and he could have kicked them into the next galaxy, but instead he hung because the job wasn't yet finished. And when he breathed his last, he said, it is finished. He completed the errand that his father had given to him. And he's able to make a, a mission-accomplished reporting as we think of on the last day, the blood-stained lamb presenting all of the redeemed to the Father. Like it says in Hebrews 2.13, Behold, Father, I and the children whom thou hast given to me, of them I have lost none of them. The whole bride of Christ present, not even a hair missing. Because that was the assignment that the Father gave to the Son. That is the ultimate servant of reliability, the Lord Jesus. So that's our exposition. So we've seen the biblical instructions on reliability and the biblical characters showcasing reliability and the biblical climax of reliability in Christ. Just draw with me now some applications before we go. First, let's seek to be a yes, sir, I'll get right to it messenger. That's a rare gift to any community, to any family. Hubbard. Hubbard writes this. He says, you supervisor, you reader, even you in the burgundy chairs who supervise, he says, put this matter to a test. If you're sitting in our office right now, Maybe six clerks are within distance of your call. Summon any one of them and make this request. Please look in the encyclopedia and make a brief memorandum for me concerning the life of Correggio. Will the clerk quietly say to you, yes, sir, and go do the task? On your life, he will not. He, he, he will look at you out of a fishy eye and, and then maybe ask one of the following questions. Well, who is he? Or which encyclopedia? Of course, some of you say, what's an encyclopedia with Google? I understand that. Some of this anachronism here. Uh, where, where is the encyclopedia, the clerk may ask. Was I hired to do that, the clerk may ask? What's the matter with Charlie doing it? Is, is Krigio dead? Is there any hurry? Sh shan't I bring you the book and have you look it up yourself? What do you want to know that for? And Hubbard goes on to say, I laid you 10 to 1 that after you've answered the questions and explained how to find the information and why you want it, the clerk will go off and get another clerk to try to help him to find Garcia and then come back and tell you there is no such man. Of course, I may lose my bet, but according to the law of average, I will not lose my bet. That may be the response that you get. In the folklore of our church... There was a, a man, his name, his name is Andy Butts. He died a number of years ago. He worked for Johnson Controls. 
And Andy was telling me about a young man from the Grand Rapids Church. You know him, Andrew Johnston. Andrew was very young. He just finished uh, his engineering degree at the University of Michigan, I think. And he'd gotten in, listen, as a temp, a temporary, over at Johnson Controls. It was a hiring freeze. We're not going to hire anybody. But Andrew got in as a temp, and whenever Andy, he had Andrew under him, would give him something to do, Andy, Andrew would go, Andy butts Andrew, Andrew would go off and he would just find a way. He'd get a team of people together and he would go above and beyond tenfold and accomplish all these different tasks to the point where the leadership at JCI said, I don't care if it's a hiring freeze or not, we want Andrew Johnson on our team. As he was a, yes, I'll get right to it, messenger. He was innovative, kind of like Nehemiah, who, who had to get the wall done. And he did it in 52 days. And so, let's seek to be that kind of a, yes, sir. You see young men here, young ladies here. Maybe not so young as well. To seek to forge that kind of a reputation. Secondly, seek to be a, a find-a-way kind of a messenger. I'm reading a book about World War II, and on D-Day, there was an Army air general who was told by Eisenhower, hey, I want you to find a way to deposit battalions of airborne parachutists into France, and I want you to do it with, listen to this, an acceptable mortality rate. Well, you look at it strategically, and that was impossible. These guys parachuting down into France at this time, they're going to be sitting ducks. It's going to be so confusing in the darkness. But this particular air general with creativity had an idea of we're going to create four-foot-tall dummies, toss them out of planes by the thousands, have them parachute down, and when they hit the ground, they're going to fire all kinds of machine gun fire to totally confuse the enemy regarding what's going on. And then the real paratroopers coming down, they'll be armed with cricket-like clicking devices to communicate with each other, not by talking, but just by clicking. They sounded like crickets, but they were communicating like Morse code. And the bottom line was, with that kind of creativity, by a find-a-way kind of a guy, it was mission accomplished. And instead of saying, hey, General Eisenhower, sorry, but what you're asking can't be done, he found a way. When I was, well, I used to have a really old John Deere tractor, and my team of children had to deal with that thing to keep that John Deere tractor running on, on our three-acre property. That's a lot of hay to throw. And Year after year, it had keep running. When they were really young, they would come to my office and, Dad, this is broke down. Dad, that is broke down. But they learn when they come to the office, I would say, I don't want to hear this. I want you to find the way. And just over the years, what a joy to walk into the garage and, and see the, the less, say, less than orthodox way that the mower deck was jury rigged in such a way that they were able to finish the mow that day. And even though it wasn't ideal, like John Hooksma would do on Lakewood, but it was done. And they found a way 
to get it done. So thankful for that kind of creativity that was described. I still remember there's a lady in our church years ago whose husband explained to his wife about the dire financial straits they were in. And he said to her, please, honey, could you see how we can cut corners? And this this lady of the house, this Proverbs 31 woman, she went off and she researched things and she found Dave Ramsey and she considered this envelope system and she set up all the categories and envelopes and she stuck with it and she dug her family out of debt with no additional income by way of a second job. I mean, that kind of a Proverbs 31 woman ought to make a man swoon. Charm is deceptive, beauty is fleeting, but a woman who fears the Lord, she is to be praised. So seek to be a find-a-way kind of a messenger. Or seek to be a faithful-in-the-little-things kind of a messenger. Like it says in Luke 16.10, he was faithful in little things, is faithful in much. Little things are a training ground for bigger things. Did you feed the dog yet? Did you make your bed yet? Have you done your devotions? Did you take out the trash? Did you trim those bushes? Did you wash that car? I will, I will, I will, I will. Will you really? Oftentimes procrastination ends up in shameful humiliation at the end of the day. No, I didn't do it. So the next day they'll be able to say, okay, Dad, okay, Mom. I'll get right to it. Let your yes be yes, Matthew 5, and your no be no. Be like a Peter Cushion who carves a great reputation for himself in your family, in the church, in the community. And stick to it all the way through, even when the task is irksome. Don't be a man like Luke 14, 28 speaks about guy who builds a tower, starts. He doesn't complete it, though. No, no, be the man who starts it and completes it. In our family lore, our youngest, Nathan, was told, oh, I think he was about nine, maybe eight, he was told, hey, Nate, there's a dead skunk in the middle of the road. And it did stink to high heaven, because I ran in the morning right by it. And I thought, opportunity. And Nate, could you go? I want you to go dig a hole over on the edge of the property, dig a hole, and then leave the pile of dirt alongside the hole, and then go take your shovel and drag the dead skunk across the road, maybe 100 yards, and then put it in the hole and cover it up so it doesn't stink anymore. And Nate went off, hesitant, but he went out to the front and he. I went to Abby's room and looked out the window to see what was going to happen. And he went out and he stared at the skunk and he almost lost his lunch in the ditch because it smelled so bad, but he took his shirt, Michael, he took his shirt and put it over his nose and he kept looking away and he'd have to walk back, get a fresh breath, but he got the dead skunk out of the middle of the road. Mission accomplished! And there's something about Nate, even now, the way that that seems to be the way that he is as an entrepreneur of his own business. I I think, Michael, that was Nate's finest hour. And this idea of being faithful in little things. Or fourthly, enjoy the blessing of being a highly sought-after 
messenger. Just the idea of somebody looking for a man like you. You being an Andrew Johnston. You being a, 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 a woman who desires to get married. Be a Proverbs 31 woman. Be someone who's reliable. Someone capable. Someone who's entrepreneurial in things. And even though when it comes to an economy, you look at people looking for jobs and trying to find a place to work. You know what it says in Proverbs 22, 9, do you see a man skilled with his work? He'll serve before kings. He won't serve before obscure men. You be a faithful messenger, and you forge that kind of reputation. You will always have a job. You are such a man. Am I right? Such a man. Even sometimes, yeah, it's just showing up on time. Just showing up, period. In the 2020s, your, your, your head, shoulders, hip, and thigh above other people in our society. But just lastly, just lastly consider, seek to find a faithful messenger to whom you can entrust your own soul. You know, it says like a bad tooth or a lame foot is reliance on the unfaithful man in times of trouble. I'm just saying to you, don't, don't rely on yourself to save yourself. Because you got bad feet. Your, your, your feet are swift to shed blood, Romans 3 says. There, there's an account in the Korean War of a certain army company who was surrounded and the lieutenant sent a messenger to get reinforcements. And the messenger got distracted or paralyzed by fear. I'm not sure what. But the point was that the, the company of men were left. The man didn't deliver, and they were massacred. And that's our situation unless we have a faithful man who's taken care of our case We need a man who's faithful in the time of trouble. And listen to me, death is the chief day of trouble. And I'll ask you here, with whom have you entrusted your soul? Have you entrusted it to yourself? And you're you're doing good works? And you're walking in a righteous path? Listen, that foot will collapse and you will fall and split hell wide open if you're relying on yourself to carry the message. Gary Brady says this, take care to whom you look. Christ is the only one that we can rely on. He alone is a reliable advocate on judgment day. So right now in the burgundy chair, go to the Lord Jesus as a dependent client and right now ask him to justify you and take care of your sins. Take the load, the mountain range of your sins. Give them to Christ. He is a beast of burden. He will carry you through the volcanic terrain of death and judgment. While you yourself, left to yourself, would surely take a false step and fall into hell. You and I, we can grab a hold on the neck of the Lord Jesus, on his shoulders as our good shepherd, and we can let him take us up on those shoulders and carry us safely home. You know that hymn that we sing. Jesus, lover of my soul, let me to thy bosom fly. Other refuge have I none, hangs my helpless soul on 
thee. Hang on Christ. He's no bad foot bozo. He is a sure-footed servant and messenger who refreshes anyone who relies on him. And then having believed on Christ, live your faith in him by faithfully working for him. He's your master. James 2 says, faith without works is dead. And Matthew 24 speaks of the servant is put in charge while the master is gone. But he doesn't do what the master tells him to do. And instead he ends up not being reliable and harming the servant instead of helping the servants. And it is said of him, cast him into outer darkness. There's a weeping and wailing and gnashing teeth. We need to be servants of Christ who on the last day, the Lord Jesus says, evaluating our service to him as a master because if we have the spirit of God within us, there will be a reliability about us that characterizes us. And so he will say to us on the last day, well done good and faithful servant. Enter the joy of my kingdom. Amen. of the verse in Revelation that